0: We'll find uh, Judges seventeen. Judges seventeen. We've been going through Judges, and we are up to chapter seventeen. In fact, we're going to look tonight at chapter seventeen and eighteen in a message I've titled "Warning Signs." Judges seventeen and eighteen. We've been going through this book, not necessarily passage by passage, but hitting most of the passages and main characters uh, because we see, what's that phrase? We see repeated, we'll run into it tonight. What's the phrase in the book of Judges? What is it? Yeah, whatever they wanted to do up there. That's a good translation. They did whatever they wanted to do. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And again, if that's not America 2020, I don't know what is. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest and I will give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes, and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest. In those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Eshtael to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, Go explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they turned in there and asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them what Micah had done for him and said, he's hired me and I'm his priest. Then they said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtael, their fellow Danites, asked them, How did you find things? They answered, Come on, let's attack them. We have seen the land, and it is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing whatsoever." Then 600 men of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zorah, Eshtaol. On their way, they set up camp near Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath-Jerim is called Mahana Dan to this day. From there they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Laish said to their fellow Danites, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, some household gods, and an image overlaid with silver? Now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites, knights, armed for battle, stood at the entrance of the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods while the priest and the 600-armed men stood at the entrance of the gate." When the five men went into Micah's house and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They answered him, be quiet, don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? The priest was very pleased. He took the ephod, the household gods, and the idol and went along with the people. Putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? He replied, you took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask, what's the matter with you? The Danites answered, Don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. Then they took what Micah had made and his priest and went on to Lash, against the people at peace and secure. They attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. The city was in the valley near Beth Rehob. Rehob. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol and Jonathan's son of Gershom, the son of Moses, His sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. You know, there are reports that on, on top of Sulphur Mountain in the Canadian Rockies, there's one of the most breathtaking views you will ever encounter. And on top of that mountain there's a tea house for tea and other refreshments and a small herd of mountain sheep. The mountain sheep have become very tame and they've taken to begging from the tourists. And therein lies the problem. They have developed a taste for junk food. (laughs) The park wardens indicate the sheep are starving to death on a diet of peanuts, potato chips, popcorn, hamburgers and licorice. (laughs) The sheep have rejected their normal diet altogether. They no longer have a taste for that and consequently they're actually losing weight and the females are no longer producing rich enough milk to nourish their young. One of the park wardens talks about the tragedy of it all. He said, sheep develop a taste for this kind of junk. It's pathetic to see, but there is really very little we can do about it. I wish people would realize that their kindness actually amounts to cruelty. Those sheep have actually become junk food junkies. Folks, aren't we like that? Spiritually speaking, society has become junk food junkies, and it's killing us. You know, junk food may taste good initially, but it's not good for you. It's not nourishing. And that's pretty much what we see here in Judges 17. Now, there seems to be a good deal of agreement among scholars that the, 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 the last five chapters of Judges are not necessarily in any type of chronological order with the rest of the book. These chapters are more like a summary of what's been wrong with people throughout the whole book. You could could essentially put these chapters anywhere in the book as an overall description of what's going on, and they would fit. Again, we see the phrase, there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. In fact, that's repeated twice in this section. We see that that type of thinking has gotten the people of God into trouble over and over again in the book of Judges. And God has brought oppression on and suffering. I mean, we've seen a book here that is filled with violence and immorality and and, uh, idolatry, and yet the people didn't think they were doing anything wrong. They felt like what they were doing was right in their own eyes. But the trouble is, they had rejected the anchor of God's Word. Again, we see that in contemporary society. I want us to look tonight at warning signs that that we might be addicted to spiritual junk food. And we're going to see that when we throw aside God's word and serve God on our own terms, the results are devastating. First thing I want you to notice with me tonight is self-made religion. If you're taking notes, write down, beside self-made religion, verses 1 to 6. This this is a sad picture. We, We meet a man by the name of Micah. What a wonderful name. His name means, who is like the Lord. But in this case, his name was a contradiction, He did nothing for the honor of the Lord. He was a thief. He steals 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother who apparently lived with him. Now folks, we need to be reminded that at this time and still even today in many parts of the world extended families under one roof are very common. I mean, you'll have grandparents and parents and children and grandchildren, all under one roof. Extended families. I don't know if you heard about the extended family. The guy didn't get along with his mother-in-law at all and she finally moved out and moved to California. While she was out in California she died. The funeral home called talked to the man's wife, the deceased woman's daughter. He answered the phone and funeral home director told him and he said, I, my wife's not here. I'll communicate everything to her. And and um, the funeral home said, sir, what do you want us to do? Bury her or a cremate her? He said, take no chances. Do both. <laughs> he didn't get along with his mother-in-law very well. <laughs> well, extended families, very common in Bible days. And, as I say, in much of the world today. Very common. So here's Micah and his mom under the same roof. He steals from his mom. And he steals a huge sum of silver. In fact, if you'll look down at verse 10, that's going to help reveal what a huge sum it is because in verse 10, what's Micah do? What do you see him doing in verse 10? He hires a priest. He hires a Levite. And what's the wage going to be every year? 10 pieces of silver. So the fact that he has stole, I mean 10 pieces of silver a wage for a year, so the fact that he has stole 1,100 pieces of silver, you can see what a huge amount it is that he has taken from his mom.
1: Well, evidently he didn't return the
0: silver out of conviction but probably out of superstition. Because what's his mom do? His mom utters a curse. <coughs> and he's afraid of the curse that she has uttered uh, on, the, on, on the thief. That's probably why he returned. Well, she blesses him for returning the silver and then look at what she does in verse 4. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol and it was put in Micah's house. Now, what's rather strange about all of this is the talk about the Lord and yet, at the same time, There's dishonesty, there's superstition, and there's idol worship blended in with it. Folks, this is a confused family. This is a messed up family, spiritually speaking. They've broken almost all of the Ten Commandments. I mean, just stop and think about a few. We're told to honor our parents, he steals from his mother. We're told not to covet but you can presume that's why he stole. We're told not to steal. He did that. And the first two commandments talk about what? Having no graven images. No idols. (laughs) And they do that. This This is a messed up family. It reminds me of the children of Israel. I mean, they've just left Egypt. They've gotten out into the wilderness. And then once they get to the place where God calls Moses up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he delays up on the mountain, what are the people doing down below? They're having Aaron make a golden calf that they can worship. Micah is right in there with his mother. He sets up a shrine and an ephod and aisles and he names his own way and his own place to worship. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 4, and verse 14, and then Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 to 7, those verses God had pointed out that worship was only to be carried out at the tabernacle which was the place appointed by God while they were wandering in the wilderness before the temple, only there. Then in in verse 5, Micah consecrates one of his own sons to be his priest. The Lord had established that priests were to come from whose family? Aaron's family. And if anyone outside of Aaron's family tried to be a priest, what were you supposed to do with them? Execute them. <clears throat> then, on top of that, look at the scenario uh, beginning there in verse uh, 7 and reading down through verse 13. A young Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, who'd been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. So Micah hires him here Micah is setting up his own priest again. Micah clearly thinks he's worshiping God and yet he is disobeying God as to how God said his people were to worship him. It's nothing less than self-made religion what we see going on here. And again that's like a lot of people do today. The parts of the Bible they like, they'll take. The parts they don't like, they'll forget about. They'll dismiss them or try to change them. We see self, self-styled, self-made religion everywhere today. For example, you've probably heard people say before, well, my God is a loving God. He would never judge anybody. Have mm-hmm. you ever been told that? I've been told that. Well, is God a loving God? Absolutely God's a loving God. But is God also holy? And He judges? You better believe it. In fact, He says in His Word, I will in no way acquit the guilty. Korah's Rebellion. In the book of Numbers, when Korah and his crowd rebelled against Moses, what happened? God opened the ground up and swallowed them. You think that's God's judgment? You better believe that was God's judgment. Then somebody says, well, you know, that was the Old Testament. Well, what's Paul say about that in 1 Corinthians 10? The things that happened in the Old Testament are examples to us today. Again, somebody says, well, God doesn't judge like that today. Well, let's think about one of the last chapters in the Bible. The third to the last. Revelation 20. Great white throne judgment. What's that passage say? And if anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, what God do with them? Cast them. cast them into the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but that sounds like judgment to me. <clears throat> Folks, lest you think I'm exaggerating the problem of self-styled religion today that sets the Word of God aside, let let me just have you think of a couple of examples. Fortunately, you don't hear much about him anymore, but back in 2011. Rob Bale came out with the book. You know who I'm talking about?
1: Yeah.
0: Rob yeah. Bale. You remember the title of the
1: book? Uh, well, I know a couple of Had Elvis, whatever. Velvet <laughs> Elvis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love Wins. Yes. What, what, he, what he uh,
0: did he do? You remember what he taught in Love Wins? Now, well, this was a this was a mega church pastor in Michigan, one of the largest, fastest growing churches in the nation. Geez. And he had a following on, on the web every week of about 50,000 people in addition to his congregation that followed him. And in that book, he basically argued, there's no hell. Everybody makes it to heaven. Love wins. So, universalism. Everybody ends up being saved and there's no eternal judgment. Well, that was fortunately a little too much for his church so he finally resigned there and went to California and he hooked up with Oprah. I'm serious. (laughs) I'm I'm serious. (laughs) (laughs) Self-styled religion. Then the pastor of the largest church in America says, I don't preach on sin. I don't preach on sin. People feel bad anyway. So I don't preach on sin. Well, if you don't mention sin, why does anybody need a Savior? And if there's no hell and no sin... Then why I was there Calvary,
1: right? Who was that church? Largest church.
0: A lot of people watch him on TV every. Joel Osteen. Yeah, Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. That's right. He said, "I, I don't preach on sin." And he says, I, "I, can't on Larry King Live. I can't necessarily say that Jesus is the only way." He heard that from Oprah. He hmm? heard that from Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like I say, it's it's not a problem just in the past. It's very much with us today. I'll I'll take what I like out of the scripture. I'll throw out what I don't like. I'll kind of I'll kind of have Christianity my way. I'll I'll sort of make God in my image. You know, somebody said God created man in his image, and today man's returning the favor. Men are trying to make God in in their image. People are playing the role of Micah, they're designing their own Christianity, and, and they're ending up with something that the early apostles wouldn't have even recognized. People are idolaters. Idolatry paints a false image of God. You know, it's it's pretty enlightening that God didn't just say make no idols to false gods, but he said make no idols to me. I'm the true and the living God, he said. But still, don't even make any images of me. Don't even make any images that you think honor me in some way because I can't be captured by something like that. An idol reduces God down, and you can't do that. You can't reduce God down to your level or my level. What Micah did was confused, and it was wrong. Folks, when we reject what the Bible says of God and we design our own Christianity, it's just as wrong. Well, the second thing I want you to see is self-appointed service. Again, referencing verses 7 to 13. Self-appointed service. You know, back then it was bad enough for a layman like Micah to do his own thing But here in these verses, we see a man who's supposed to be a shepherd of God's people doing his own thing too. I mean, look at verse 8. There's all kinds of problems here. He left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. The man was a Levite. We're told that Levites were men who had God's call on their lives They were not to be opportunists moving from one place to another simply looking for a job. They had been assigned 48 specific cities to dwell in. In fact, when when you think about that, he shouldn't have even been in Bethlehem because Bethlehem was not one of the assigned cities for the Levites. It's believed that he's become restless because apparently God's people were not supporting God's work where he was. Now you can see how that could be a problem, right? God's people not supporting God's work. So what's he do? He he moves on to find somewhere maybe he can get support.
1: Scott, uh-huh. uh, Based on just what you just said, then, doesn't that make you look uh, in a whole different light <laughs> at the Sistine Chapel ceiling that Da Vinci painted, where God is reaching towards man? Think about it a minute.
0: Uh-huh. Is it
1: most of God revealed in that painting? I'm, I'm not following. Oh, Clare, you clarify in the Sistine Chapel? Well, as sure. you painted an image of God right. reaching towards man, there I right. the see Right. And uh, is that not a uh, an image? Not a great image, but a painted image? Of God. Oh, I see what
0: you're saying. Should there even be anything like that?
1: Right. Any, right. any type of images in worship or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's, uh, Muslims are forbidden to even try to picture Allah. Right. But because he he actually
0: pit, tried to paint God reaching to man. Right, right.
1: Doesn't the transfiguration? I mean, isn't that? Uh, I mean, there you see what Jesus looks like. I mean, that's for the
0: yeah, but it's not a, it, That wasn't an image right. that man did. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I was a Bible illustrator. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I got that too. I kind of I got yeah.
1: right.
0: <laughs> But back to this Levite. He seems to be a man who was not satisfied with God's arrangements for his life. God had given him an area of service, and had he been faithful in that, God would have. Extended his service, his area of ministry, but, but he seems to be a man only committed to self-promotion and personal <laughs> betterment. You know, one of Satan's lies is to get a Christian dissatisfied with his circumstances and with his area of service that God's given him. You know, a minister might think, you know what? I should be better known. I ought to be in a bigger place. I ought to be paid more. I ought to be appreciated more. Laymen can be the same. They may not take a place of service in the church because that—that's a place of service that's beneath me. Or they may love. Uh, they may leave a church because they think. You know what? Those people don't appreciate me. Anyway that's kind of apparently the attitude behind this guy. I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to look for somewhere better. Where I'll be better taken care of, more appreciated. He's a priest for sale, is what he is. He's a hire. In chapter 18, we'll see that he gets a better offer yet. When the daylights come along. And they say, "Hey, you know, you can stay with but Wouldn't it be better to be a priest over a whole tribe than one man's house?" And he said, "Hmm, you know what? That sounds pretty good to me." So he takes that next offer too. <clears throat> priest for sale, folks. Our motive needs. Our motive needs to be faithful to God wherever He puts us. Wherever God puts us. Wherever God calls us. This guy is apparently moving and serving for all of the wrong reasons. It's all based on material gain. That seems to be his motive. Well, third thing I want you to say, a love for easy living. Chapter Just write down all of chapter 18 beside that. A love for easy living. In chapter 18, we're introduced to the people of the tribe of Dan. Now, verse 1 is a bit confusing because we know from Joshua 19 that they were indeed assigned a place just like everybody else. They were given a territory. Their territory was to be between Ephraim and Judah stretching toward the Mediterranean. But their territory was small. And if you were to look back at chapter 1 of the book of Judges, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's verse 34 of chapter 1 of Judges tells us that the Amorites drove them up into the hill country. They were to take that area but the Amorites had driven them up into the hill country and they apparently didn't want to bother with trying to fight the Amorites. They were supposed to God had told them I'll be with you as you as you deal with these people of the land of Canaan to drive them out, I'll be with you. But they apparently just didn't want to deal with it. So Dan had two choices. They could trust God and with God's help, drive out the Amorites, or they could take the easy way and just move on. Look for another territory somewhere else other than the territory that had been assigned to them. And that's exactly what they did. Rather than staying in the allotment God had given them, going through the tough struggles of battling the Amorites, driving the Amorites out, they chose, it's just going to be easier if we move on.
1: Weren't the other tribes supposed to be assisting each one? Oh yeah, absolutely. All there? Absolutely. Are they, they doing this by themselves then? Is that what we're on? The here? impression here is they're doing this all on their own. Yes. Yep.
0: And so when they go looking for another place and they show up here in chapter 18, what do they find? They find a group of people living in an area far away from anybody else. They're living peacefully and prosperously. And it appears to be a people that the Danites can easily overrun and conquer. So again, rather than staying where they were assigned and taking on the Amorites, that would have been hard they go wandering and looking for another place that'll be easier, and they find an unsuspecting people living in peace and prosperity that'll be easy to defeat them. And they say, aha, that's gonna be a lot easier for us to do. We'll take that route. They re- That's what they did. They, they overran those people uh, they renamed the place Dan. They lived by the philosophy, what's yours is mine, and they took the easy way out. Now, not only did they take the easy way out, but they even established an altar and worship at Dan. Think back with me a minute to what happened in First and 2 Kings when the kingdom split. <clears throat> the two southern tribes stayed with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, down south. The 10 tribes of Israel, they took they became the northern tribe, the 10 northern tribes, they followed Jeroboam. And because Jeroboam feared that now, with the kingdom split, where was was the temple? Jerusalem. And that's where the two southern tribes were. So Jeroboam's thinking is now that I'm leading 10 tribes and we've split from the two southern tribes, over time, the people following me are going to wander back down to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And they're going to be drawn back to Rehoboam. And so that that wouldn't happen, remember what Jeroboam did? He set up golden calves to worship. <clears throat> Established idolatry in the land. One of the places was, you remember? Bethel. Bethel. The southern part of the northern kingdom. And then to make matters convenient for all worshipers, then in the northern part of the northern kingdom, where was the other golden calf? Oh, At
1: Dan. Now when Dan went up there, that the land they took was he didn't take it away from another tribe, did he? Was it beyond? No.
0: No, they, they took it from the people of Laish. Beyond here.
1: what was already allocated to the tribes. The yes. Laish wasn't part of, like, Asher or. Correct. A, well, who took the first Dan <clears throat> Who took what? Dan. In other words, Dan moved out, who uh-huh. did in? They left it to the Amorites. <clears throat> they didn't want to fight
0: them, they just deserted their allotment. Again, they seem to have wanted things easy and convenient. That's a sign of spiritual breakdown. It, you know, the commands of God are sometimes difficult to obey. Right? Obedience to God can involve cost. Obedience to God can involve repentance. In fact, Jesus said we all have a cross to carry. The Christian life is isn't always going to be easy. It's not always going to be convenient. You know, there's issues for the church in America to deal with today that maybe doesn't want to deal with. It's difficult work. The Great Commission is difficult work. Mission's difficult work. But you know what's interesting here? As you read on in the Bible, the Danites never again really factor in to God's plan and God's work. They appear to be lazy, complacent, disobedient, wanting the easy path, and they do not factor in anymore to the Old Testament narrative. They got their way they got exactly what they wanted. But apparently they gave up the blessing of God on them.
1: It seems to me though that uh, what they were called to do by God had two, it was twofold. Not only to take possession of land, but to execute God's judgment on the people that were there yes. already. Yes. Because those were yes. the very people that came back later on to cause them Myriads and myriads of trouble. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, because Dan didn't do its responsibility, the trouble that the Amorites would later cause to other tribes. Dan should have dealt with all that. Good point. So again, in these two chapters, what do we see? Self-seeking religion. We're going to just kind of set up worship and priest the way we want to other than how God's prescribed. Uh, we're going we're to choose the easy way out. We're going to do things like we want to do things. Not how God has told us to do things, but how we want to do things. It'll just be easier for us that way. And again, the problem is God wasn't in it. God was dishonored. The book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, it
1: really comes down to today. Your, sure. your participation in... And God's not interested in a resume right. that you're forming. All He wants is you and nothing else. You're just there. Yep. Lord, like Samuel said, Lord, your servant is listening yep. and willing and able. And all. Your so,
0: circumstances are your assignment. Exactly. Your circumstances are your
1: assignment to be God's person there. And so, thus with the easy way out as the Danites were doing, just like somebody today who's looking for an easy way out Mm -hmm. as far as service goes, God will put you on a shelf. Sure. He may take down and use you later, but it probably will only result from you petitioning Him directly. Lord, forgive me. I've changed my ways. And He may decide to let you have another chance. Otherwise, you're just sitting up there gathering dust, and he's gone elsewhere and is using others to accomplish his purpose. And this is not a perfect example of what goes on today. As it was back then, the Bible is just as timely today as ever. Because in all these thousands of years, human Mm -hmm. nature never changes. Mm
0: -hmm. And the the Levite wandering away from where he was supposed to be. Here again, I'm not saying that a layman in a church, God won't move a layman to another church. I'm not saying God won't move a minister somewhere else. But the point is, it needs to be God doing it. Not just a man saying, where's there going to be greener pastures for me? And that was his problem. Again, he was for sale, and in the day nights, were just looking for an easy avenue. But again, they don't factor in. They got what they wanted, but they never again factor in to God's plan. Disobedience costs them. You know, obedience costs, but disobedience costs
1: even more. You remember Saturday Night TV way back when there used to be a television show called Have Gun, Will Travel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this little Levite seems to have got I Have Ephod, Will Travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. He was offering His uh, services to the highest bidder. Folks, let's
0: keep in mind today, we serve a holy God, and He's given us His revelation. We are to worship and serve Him His way. His way. Not however we feel like we want to do it. We are to serve God, God's way. And that's why we need to be in His Word. Because how are we going to know God and His attributes and His ways and how, how, we, are, how we are to serve Him? How are we going to know all that if we don't know His When people don't know God's Word, they run off and do whatever they want to do. And God's not in it. All of this should have been warning signs. I mean, to Micah, his mom, the Levite, the Danites, should have been all kinds of warning signs what they were doing, and they ignored it all. Okay. Quarter <clears> time. <throat> Anything in closing
1: that I missed? Yeah, that, uh-huh. It doesn't really relate to this. When the Old Testament's in Hebrew? Yeah, right? in, the Hebrew, and in Hebrew and then there's
0: small portions like certain certain parts of Daniel. Very small portions of the Old Testament in Aramaic. But 99% of it in, in Hebrew, yes. Well,
1: did... did the, the Babylonian exile—is that when it stopped being in Hebrew? Because well, in that? in
0: the Babylonian exile, uh, in, in in the Book of Daniel, for instance, there are portions written to the exiles in Aramaic because that would have been the language of the land where they were, and that's probably some of the reason some of some of Daniel, for instance, was in Aramaic. And there's some Chaldean too in well, Chaldeans are the Babylonians. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I guess i be primarily like the names, I guess. Oh, oh sure,
0: sure. The Chaldean names are in the book of Daniel, for instance. The names that they were reassigned they had godly names, and the king gave them new names for Babylonian, Chaldean names dedicated to
1: Chaldean gods. <coughs>